0: Take a walk with me, not like you used to do, do
1: something different and put yourself in other people's shoes. Open up your mind and open up your eyes and change your direction, change your perspective. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much. I say it often, but I do mean this. Thank you for hitting play today. You know, not play 60, the NFL... They have that thing where they're trying to encourage kids to go outside and play more. When that campaign first came out, I thought, man, when I was a kid, we didn't need an excuse to go outside. We just loved to do it. And I think that's the key to life really is finding that one thing, or maybe it's multiple things that you really love to do. And then you go out and do those things and you become passionate about those things. And then I think you inspire others to share in that passion. So without further ado, welcome in my guest. It is often we say this, but seldom we've gotten to. So we have a doctor in the house. So let me welcome in Dr. Danny. Danny, how are you today?
0: Fantastic, Neil. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for spreading some joy in the world. We need a lot more of you.
1: Well, I appreciate that as well. I love the idea of male doctor. Now, help us with this. Now, where does the doctorate come from? Where Help, you know, because I feel like every time I say your name now, I have to say doctor in front of it. Right or no? Help me.
0: I, I'm very flattered by that, but the first time I ever used Doctor was for a reservation at a hotel, and when the the guy at the front desk said, "Oh, we have your room, Doctor Brussel," my wife turned to me. She said, "Oh, please, I'm the, I'm the useless kind of doctor. I'm 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 a PhD in education, and it it got me in trouble once. Neil, I was on a flight from Dallas to Little Rock, and there was a medical emergency, and so they saw that I was Doctor Brussel, and they came up to me, and I said, "I can teach them how to read very quickly." That was about the extent of it.
1: <laughs> this is a terrible movie, but I just recently watched it. Hangover.
0: Oh yeah, that's fantastic. He's a dentist.
1: That's what I feel like in this moment. He's just a dentist.
0: Yeah, that's right. Don't get too excited. <laughs> yeah, he's just a
1: dentist. Terrible. My audience is now like, "Whoa, you watch Hangover? Whoa, Judgment." Listen, this is a judgment-free zone. This is like Planet Fitness. This is a judgment-free zone.
0: Well, we so. don't need. We don't need judgment. That's what I keep on telling people. Is I'm trying to make my Christianity more of a verb instead of a noun.
1: Oh, that's also good. I'm excited about having you on today, but before we get too far down the road, because I know we can get there quick, especially with your love affair for all things Denver Rockies, I'm, I'm hoping included, you know, maybe not because you did say you're a Dodger, so but you talked about in the green room, that LA area. So behind me, I'll kind of adjust the camera here for a moment. You can see that USC hanging from the rafters, if you will. That's Todd Marinovich, by the way.
0: Now, oh, poor Todd. You look at Todd and I always had such a passion for him because I'm like, man, his parents constructed him to be this like robotic quarterback and they never let him have a childhood. What else would you expect once he finally had some freedom? He'd go crazy off the rail. And that's kind of what I tell parents is I'm like, kids are kids, I love what you were talking about in your intro about playing. (laughs) When I was a kid, it could be 20 below zero outside. And my mom's like, hey, dinner's at six, go back outside. (laughs) Freezing to death.
1: But mom, go make a snow cone. Come on.
0: Yeah, we we didn't have play dates. We just went outside and I right. was watching a comedian recently. He said when I was a kid, I was playing football on the street and I got hit by a car. And the next day, I was out playing football again. He's like, last week I was watching TV, and my wife called me from the kitchen. I turned my my head, and ever since then, my neck has been killing me. And I'm like, yep, this is this is my life now.
1: <laughs> Truly, right? No, we had Todd on a a while back. I told him when we were talking, I said I, I really would love to get you know your jersey to put it up in the studio, and oh, and wow. he said he said yeah, fine one, and and I'll sign it, and he graciously did. I it's not ever gonna fit me. It's just little and small. But, you know, a little kid could wear it. I didn't want this massive USC jersey being a Tar Heels fan. I felt like that was a conflict of interest.
0: I'd seen that in your book picks because I agree with you. I Like when I read Dean Smith's books, I was like, wow, this guy is just... When he passed away, I'm like, what a classy dude. He left in his will that he he gave like about 250 bucks to each of his former 300 players to go have a steak dinner on him. And then people also don't realize... What a big civil rights leader he was. It was a big deal for him bringing African-American players. and
1: Phil Ford and all those guys.
0: I just thought, wow, what a neat guy. He was a real true leader, very humble, and a a real competitor. So you should be very proud to be affiliated with North Carolina.
1: I am. I I just need to take a class there so I can say I was a student. (laughs) get a UNC email so I can get some students from Spotify in those go. places. We'd love to lead off this question. So what size shoes do you wear?
0: I'm kind of a freak. I have like a quadruple E, very wide feet and so it's almost impossible to buy shoes for me. So my size shoe depending on the brand is anywhere from a 10.5 to a 12.
1: <laughs> but it has to be quadruple E, right?
0: Well, there's no such thing really and I'm too cheap to special order these things for like 400 bucks a pair so uh, I'm kind of mixing and matching
1: <laughs> That's quite hilarious. In speaking of brands, you know, being on brand—is there a brand or style that we like more than another?
0: Anything that fits me, Neil. I mean, it's—it's really—it's horrible. I have like these Frankenstein feet, and actually, it's horrible. Last week, this is a, a public service announcement: don't text and walk at the same time. I slipped on some ice, and so I've been on on, on crutches ever since. Uh, I, I'm just an old man. Don't don't listen to a word I have to
1: say. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. That's also funny. I actually have texted and walked as well, but I bumped into somebody. So, but it turned out to be an amazing story. We got a guest out of it. So, sometimes that happens too. So, just be aware of nice. that. But getting into you and your story, I think what what intrigued me about what you're about is your background. Your education background of spending some time in that South Central Southern California area. I grew up in Oceanside, Camp Pendleton. Nice. Where I spent kindergarten through fifth grade, my dad and mom ripped me away from the beautiful Southern California coast and brought me here to Southern Oregon, where I'm like, Oregon, what? No. And I never left. And then I met the love of my life. And, and I thought, okay, when we get older, we're going to leave. And then my wife became a partner in a firm. And now here we are <laughs> raising our 15 year old in Southern Oregon, not where I thought we would be for the record. But like I said, what intrigued me about you is this idea and this passion, because let me be honest, as I talked about in the beginning, kind of that passion, I have never, and I truly mean this, never had a passion for reading. Mm. And it's hard as a podcaster, especially, here's the woe of me. When I have a guest come on, undoubtedly, they'll want to talk about a book. Most of the time we have guests come on that are authors and they'll say, hey, Neil, let me see my book. I'm like, awesome. They're like, will you read it? And I'm like, (laughs) Probably not. I always feel bad saying that, but here's why. And then, then, then I'd love your response to this. Is I grew up in fifth grade. A little time travel moment here. At fourth grade, it really started. Started to discover, and in, even, even in myself, I think even back then, like I'm not getting this. Something's not hitting the top floor. Math tests that they used to give us, the times tables. They'd flip it over, and you'd have to write them in as fast as you can. Some people are like, "Wow, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, those suck too." And then spelling was always really hard, and reading was was such a chore and a challenge. And then in Fourth grade, Miss Haggerty, if I could ever find her, so those private investigators out there try to find her for me, discovered or started to, to see hey, I think he may have this big word dyslexia. Mm. And so then I got this label slapped on my back for the rest of my years going forward that I was dyslexic. Now I had no idea what that meant. I didn't really reverse letters like traditional people do, but I even to this day I still don't read very well. I don't read very fast. I would rather listen to something than sit down and read a traditional book. And being a Christ follower or a Christian, even the Bible, like I teach. At my church, fourth graders, which, by the way, is a chore. And fifth graders, Mm -hmm. chore. My high schoolers nowadays, chore. I will have them more often than not, and I've done this for years, read the scripture first out loud. Because again, once I hear it, man, it is like spring into action. Mm -hmm. I say all that to set the background. What would you have done if I had walked into your classroom in those days, the South Central Los Angeles area? Help me with that.
0: Well, Neil, you'd be a reader for sure. I'd get you all passionate about it. It's, it's funny because ironically, I'm, I'm known as America's leading reading ambassador and I grew up hating reading. My father was a librarian. I always hated the public library. It always smelled funny to me. Furniture was always uncomfortable. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always a freaky homeless guy by the bookshelves thinks he's a vampire. I always hated the library. And it wasn't until I started teaching in Compton in South Central Los Angeles where I saw a lot of my kids didn't have a lot of the advantages I had growing up. I grew up, both of my parents were in the home. We were lower middle class, but we always had food on the table. And my parents always read in front of us kids, to us, kids and we had plenty of access to reading materials and I said, shame on me. It became my passion getting kids excited about reading because the more excited you are to read, the more likely you are to read and the more you read, the better you get. So you're in good company if you're dyslexic, by the way. I work with tons of dyslexics. So it's just so everybody's listening. They understand this. Every reading disability is curable, and far and away, the most undiagnosed reading disability is dyslexia. You're in company with people like George Washington, got entertainers like Tom Cruise, Sylvester Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, they're all dyslexic. Over half of the Fortune 500 CEOs are dyslexic. People like Richard Branson. You already said something, which is one of the keys I tell people is dyslexics tend to process information a lot better through their ears than through their eyes. One of the best ways to get dyslexics interested into reading is to give them audiobooks. There's a lot of research on this. Being read aloud to is just as significant as reading on your own. And so I always encourage people to read aloud. You know, and I also hated that they put that label on you. If people are going to take the time to label a kid, I say, you might as well just label them a genius because... People rise and fall based on the expectation. (laughs) You know, I have kind of a sad story about that. When I was in, this is why I think standardized testing is a waste of time. In sixth grade, we moved to Colorado. For some reason in Colorado, every new student has to be tested for gifted and talented. And the woman interviewing me was about 183 years old. And the first question she asked me is, how far is it from New York City to Los Angeles? And I said, 2,500 miles. And she just paused And she said, young man, I've given this test for 40 years. And not only has no student ever correctly answered that question like you just did, but certainly not with as much confidence. You are gifted and talented. She put me in gifted and talented, Neil, and it changed the course of my life. Here's the silliest part of that story. The reason I got that question right was that morning while I was eating breakfast, I was watching the cartoon Popeye on TV. And Popeye and Brutus had this race from New York City to Los Angeles. They went past a sign that said Los Angeles, 2,500 miles. The thing that changed my life was watching television that day. So I always tell people, don't don't knock television. But getting back to getting you to be a reader, I was very blessed in seventh grade. My reading teacher was Will Hobbs, who now he's a best-selling author around the world. His young adult books, they sell like hotcakes, especially to teenage boys. A lot of outdoor adventure books in the Northwest. He did something nobody else ever did. He had 5,000 books in his classroom. And every day at the beginning of class, he would tell us what he was reading. We would tell him what we were reading. And the rest of the 50-minute period, we read. Whenever we finished a book, we'd go up to Mr. Hobbs. He'd put down the book he was reading. He'd look through our book, ask us three or four questions. And if he was, satisfied with our answers, he gave us a point. Every book up to 200 pages is worth one point. Every extra hundred pages is worth another point. You needed 25 points to get an A, and the top five point totals had their names written on the board. And I wanted my name written on that board. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. 500 page book, four point book, an excellent Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. And I didn't really feel like reading a 500 page book. So I took the book up to Mr. Hobbs. He asked me four questions, and I learned a valuable lesson that day, Neil. Books ain't always like the movies. And guess what Mr. Hobbs did? He gave me the four points. And that's when I learned one of the best teaching tricks of all time. Here it is. Guilt works. I felt so guilty. I read every word of every page of every book from that point on. Went up with 44 points. Went well above and beyond what I had to do. He used the single greatest strategy I've ever seen a teacher use to get a kid excited about reading. He found out what I was excited about, which was football. And at least once a week, he'd come up to me. He's like, hey, Danny, here's a book on John Elway. I think you'll like it. Check it out. What are the odds I open up that book? Well, in my experience, with all age levels It's 100%. Kid might not read it. By the fourth time I do that with a kid, they're going to try and read that book because there's nothing more powerful than somebody significant in your life, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, a parent, a buddy, an older sibling saying, you know what? I was thinking of you when I was reading this. It's so powerful. I hate stories like yours, Neil, because I hear it all the time. And it's something that we're failing in the public school system. When I was in high school, I remembered my English teacher made us read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Ha. Now, I'm not gonna put down the book because I know there's somebody listening out there. Oh, I love that book. The story is basically about Hester Prynne. She commits adultery and so she has to wear an A on her chest. And I raised my hand and asked my teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored reading that book, and it got me to hate reading so much. And that's the problem is. We tell kids what they have to read. I'm going to tell her, I can do this. I can bless all of you. I'm a PhD. The research is very clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. It matters how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. I'll give you a tip right now. All the parents out there listening, the little boy who only wants to read Captain Underpants is going to become a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. Captain Underpants is the gateway drug to Shakespeare. But you got to get there first. I mean, you were talking about the Bible. There's a great line in the movie Paint Your Wagon where uh, Lee Marvin plays this drunkard. There's all these Christians that have to live with him during a snowstorm. And this woman, she's judging him. And she says, have you read the Bible? And he says, yes, ma'am. And she said, did it cure your thirst for liquor? He said, no, ma'am, but it cured my hunger for reading. (laughs) I thought it's a great, that's the funniest line. But I got to tell you, this is one of my little tricks. I read a lot of kids' books. I'm not a person that likes to read 800-page books, so I like to read as quick as possible. My wife had told me that I had read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, and he said in that book, he's like, if you've never read the Bible, read it for 10 minutes a day. It'll only take you a year. Well, it only took me 10 months. It was a struggle at first because I had a King James Version, and I started started with the Old Testament. And my wife, she said, No, Danny, here's a new international version and start with the New Testament. And I went through it a lot quicker. And then what really brought the Bible to life for me was I read Robert Schuller's children's Bible to my kids before they went to bed. And my wife is always impressed how I know like where every story is in the Bible. And I'm like, Oh, because I remember the picture. Oh, David and Goliath. That's first Samuel. I'm like, I remember that. And she's like, How do you know that? I'm like, Oh, because I read the kids Bible I had the pictures. I remember that. Like, if you you're in my class Neil I find out whatever you're interested in and that's what we would read when I taught second grade I had a little boy Kiara Kiara's first grade teacher told me Kiara don't know nothing I'm like well thank you for that Kiara who don't know nothing comes into my classroom one day he's like hey Mr. Michelle you see Barkley last night he had 18.16 boards I'm like Thank you, Kiara. Because from that day forward, after lunch, every day, I'd sit Kiara on my lap, and he and I would read the LA Times sports page. And guess what, Neil? By the end of the year, Kiara was one of my best readers, and all that kid ever read about was sports. This this is the other problem that drives me nuts. People think reading means Dostoevsky. It doesn't have to be some 900-page Russian novel. If you like reading People magazine, read People magazine. People say, oh, kids are illiterate nowadays. I'm like, kids are more literate than they've ever been. In one day, you're exposed to more print than people who lived their entire lives in the 19th century. We have tons of information. Now, it might might not be the greatest information. We can have that debate also. When you were talking about spelling, I got this idea from my friend, Rich Allen, who's a great speaker. Rich had kids that were testing below the 20th percentile on their spelling test. And so what he did is he relabeled the tiles of his classroom floor with the letters of the alphabet. And after the kids would write down the word on paper, he'd then have them hop spell the word. The simple act of the hop increased all the test scores above the 80th percentile. There's all kinds of strategies you can use. And it kills me, Neil, that nobody ever did that with you. So I'm telling you, Neil, I I can make you a reader today too. And I'll I'll get you. I mean, we'll read about North Carolina basketball and things like that, things that get you excited.
1: Well, that's awesome. I remember in sixth grade, we had just moved to Oregon and I got a a new resource teacher. That's what they called it, resource, you know, the special class And her name was Mrs. Fishwick. What a name, right? And true name. She had two boys that were probably about, I'm going to guess, three, maybe four years younger than I am. She wanted them to get out and play more, but they wouldn't because all they wanted to do was sit around and read. They wow. would not go outside. So it's the opposite. And so she tutored me between sixth grade and seventh grade to help boost my reading scores. In exchange, I would play with her kids.
0: <laughs> That's great.
1: <laughs> we went to the public library, walk in the, the library floor one day, and she's you know turning in some of her books. And she says, go pick any book you want and we'll read it to me. And doesn't matter what it is, we'll read it. Well, so I'm walking along these you know, mountains of books and mm-hmm. feeling overwhelmed and intimidated. Kind of like when I walk into Lowe's still to this day. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else feels like I'm the only dude that ever feels that way in Lowe's or Home Depot. I come to this book and there's this giant X on the front of it. And I thought, well, X marks the spot. Let's, let's read this one. No idea it was Malcolm X's autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> But she read it. And by the end of that summer, let me tell you, I was ready to to commit my life to Islam and the nation wow. of Islam. So I was ready. I was like, you got a convert. <laughs> but it was the first time I remember feeling like, and that was a big book, by the way. I don't know how many pages mm-hmm. it is. I, di- I didn't research that because I didn't know we were going to go here. So I didn't have that ready. But it, it seemed to me it was a pretty big book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then that same summer, I remember listening to to Dick Shapp, who mm-hmm. did all kinds of sports stuff. And he... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he, I think he's since passed. He did Bo Jackson's autobiography. And I thought, this is incredible. Like Bo Jackson's amazing. I, I still, to this day, am a huge fan of Bo. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there are very few books in my memory that I really sat down. I was like, oh man, that book changed my life forever. Yeah. Other than the Bible. That was my struggle and still is. And so, you know, I know we, we you said you could get me to be a reader, but if a parent's listening right now and they're like, listen, we got Tommy, we got Timmy, we got yeah. Susie. And I love what you said, finding that lane, finding that that interest, maybe category, if you will, that genre, to get them involved. But If there's still that struggle, there's still that mountain to climb, that Everest experience, because I remember sitting at the kitchen table almost in tears as my parents were making me do whatever, you know, homework, whatever it was. How do you get around that?
0: Yeah, so this is my passion is really helping parents find ways to turn their struggling or reluctant readers into more passionate, proficient readers. So I'll give a tip to every parent out there right now. A lot of parents I work with, they say well, I don't have books at home, we're poor. I'm like, oh, you do have something to read though. President Bush Sr. over 30 years ago signed a very important law in this country. It says every television set in America has to have closed captioning. So the first tip I always give parents is turn on the closed captioning. And parents say, well, wait a second. If the show is in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I'm like, well, that's a fair point. Let me make a point though. Have you ever watched a show with closed captioning and not looked at those subtitles? It's very difficult to do. Your brain is actually directed towards the text. And there's actually a research to support this. If you look at reading test scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, the lower their reading scores are in every single country on the planet except for one. The country with the highest reading scores in the world also watches the most TV in the world. It's Finland. And people always ask, well, how can that be? I'm like, well, Finland makes really bad TV shows. And so what they have to do is they import all these old American sitcoms like Happy Days and Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch. They have to do finished subtitles on all the shows. The kids are constantly reading. That's the easiest tip I give to parents. And parents are like, does that work? Because of the pandemic, I created a reading program for parents, you know, because I think schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid? how to read if they never want to read. I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to do it because they think it's fun and there's ways to make it fun. I mean, the other tip I always give parents is you got to make reading the reward. You know, I love that Pizza Hut has the Book Give program. I think it's a wonderful program. If I ever meet the person that runs that program, I'm going to make a suggestion. The way that program works right now, kids read books and they're rewarded with pizza. If I ran the program, it would be exactly the opposite. Every time kids came into my Pizza Hut and had a slice of pizza, I'd reward them with a book. You're sending a very different message to the kid that reading is the reward. With my students, I'm like, hey, if we finish everything today, I'll do a read aloud later on, or we'll read under the tables, or I'll get Australian Pete to come read to you. I I did that when my kids get bored. I'm like, hey, uh, you're not listening to me. I'm going to get Australian Pete to come read to you. I'd leave the classroom, come back in. And I Mike's just got done putting a shrimp on the barbie. Your teacher said, you want me to read to you? He's like, yay, it's Australian Pete you know it's me 215 I'd bring in grumpy old man you can shut up i'm going to read to you kids like yeah Gonna be old man. That one actually got me in trouble. A parent once said, it's some mean old guy Tell my kid to be quiet. I'm like, oh, I won't invite him back. There's all kinds of tricks. I have three children of my own. Bill Cosby, before he became a scumbag, he was like my idol growing up. Bill Cosby had a line where he said, if you only have one kid, you're not really a parent because you know who did it. I completely agree with that. I have three children. They were all brought up in the exact same environment with the exact same genes and all three of them are completely different. And so here's two tips for parents out there. First of all, I read different things with all of my different kids, and my kids are all teenagers now. So my oldest daughter, Kate, she's into Game of Thrones, and so we're reading George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones. You know, it's not like I'm recommending this book to everybody, but it, like it turns on my my daughter. My son is always into war stuff, and so the book we're reading right now is about this cool British general, General Adrian Carton de Wiart. He's a World War I, World War II general. He's like missing an eye, missing a hand. He's had like 14 different injuries. He's the most amazing guy ever. He's a fascinating guy. And then for some reason, my youngest daughter, she likes literature. So we just had to read The Great Gatsby, which I hate that book, but she liked it. And At least now when I read it to her, I'm like, oh, I still hate the story, but I respect the writer now. I'm like, okay, he can write well. Now we're reading Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens, which I do not recommend to anybody for a read aloud. We are all idiots in today's society. I'm Looking at Charles Dickens at the time, I have to get out my dictionary on almost every sentence. It's unbelievable. My wife, she loves the Outlander series, and so I read I read aloud the Outlander books by Diana Gabaldon to her. That's a trick for every parent out there. Another thing. When the kids were young, I established the habit very early on. I have a feeling TV's here to stay. I'm not one of these people that discourages technology. I try to embrace the technology and figure out how to work it for me. The rule for the kids is before we turn on the TV, they have to bring me something to read. And so when they were little, they'd bring me like picture books and we'd read the picture book and then they could turn on the TV. Now my kids are all teenagers, so they'll bring me like their iPad and we'll read some bizarre story about a Florida man or something like that. You want to make reading fun. Big numbers. So my reading program for parents, its it takes just over two months. And we find in two months, the kid has boosted their reading ability by two to three grade levels, which is fine and good. I don't really care about that. What's important to me is that these kids love reading and they'll do it despite school. I'm an avid reader now and I love reading biographies. It's fascinating, you know, if you read biographies of successful people, almost all of them have one thing in common. They dropped out of school. What's going on in the school system, And We need to find these kids. I mean, it drives me nuts. When you said that, like it was breaking my heart because I'd been there, Neil, Oh, I have the resource teacher. Uh, I taught eighth grade special education. It wasn't special education. It was 16 boys nobody else wanted to teach. Eight African-American, eight Latino. And if their life wasn't miserable enough, they got the white dude as the teacher. On the first day of school, I looked at them all. I'm like, man, you guys got to help me. This is my first time teaching in the gifted and Talented program. And they're looking at me. There's this great book. A lot of people think it's good. I think it's great. It says you should try and treat other people the way you want to be treated. I find when I treat people like they're geniuses, they actually start acting like they're geniuses. All those parents out there that have had those stupid conferences where some third party told you your kid has a learning disability. Knock that off. That's ridiculous. Thomas Edison had a learning disability. Albert Einstein had a learning disability. All these people just rise to incredible heights. And we love to label them when they're kids. Again, folks, if you're going to label somebody, label them as a genius. Teach every kid as if they're the Savior. I mean, that's what—that's that's the story of the bishop's gift. You ever hear that story, Neil? There's a pastor, and he only has five people in his congregation. And so he goes to the bishop, and he asks, how can I grow my congregation? And the bishop says, I've been meaning to tell you this. The Savior is among you. The pastor's like startled, and he goes back to his congregation of five, and he says, I talked to the bishop. And he said, the Savior is among us. All of a sudden, everybody in that little congregation, they start realizing, wow. I got to start acting better because maybe I'm the savior or I got to be treating everybody nice around me because maybe they're the savior. And all of a sudden everybody in town starts noticing how nice these people are. And so more and more people start coming to the church and all of a sudden there's hundreds and hundreds of people at the church. That was the bishop's gift. And I, I always love that story because I'm like, when you treat a person like that, it's amazing. I worked with kids that everybody else was giving up on. And I, I always told them, hey, you know, sometimes you need somebody else to believe you before you believe in yourself. I believe in all of you. They only give me the best and the brightest. So let's let's go prove everybody wrong. Got to get people to believe.
1: I think that was the key that I was missing. I went from kindergarten to high school, so senior year. And I think out of those, what, 13 years or so, I think there were four teachers that came along, put their arm around the proverbial shoulder, and, and maybe even not metaphorically or, or philosophically, but physically did it, who said, you know, I believe in you. One of my favorite stories I love to tell is I'm a sophomore in English and our English teacher had the honors class. She had the regular English class, which was us. She gave us a book report to do on a famous American, and then we had to give a speech on it. Mm-hmm. So I drew Howard Cosell, nice. you know, broadcaster. I think I read like two, three pages in the book. That was it. And so then we had to like write a speech and then give the speech. So I get up, I give my speech. Five to seven minute speech, amazing. Applauded. People are like, "Man, that was a, that was amazing." And go to sit down, and she comes over to my chair, and she said, "Neil, that is the best speech I've seen. Not only in this class, but in other classes, even in my honors class. In fact, they're meeting next period. Come back and give that speech again because they're not giving speeches the way you are." Yeah, I don't, I don't feel comfortable like. Uh, I just, you know, I don't I don't feel good about it. Plus, I have another class that I can't miss and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'll get you out of it. And she said, well, if you don't want to do it, I'll just read your speech and maybe it'll be the same effect. And she goes to grab the paper and all that is on the paper is squiggly lines. Ah. Nothing was written. And she took my A to a B and then scolded me in front of the whole class. Oh. That I did not finish the assignment and I had duped her. And so fast forward, we have an IEP meeting and I can't even to this day tell you what IEP stands for. But basically it's an independent, I think it's an independent learning program or independent something. I don't know. Somebody can Google that and let me know. So she proceeded to tell my mom at this meeting with all of my other teachers that they were deluding me and giving me visions of grandeur that I would never be successful, that I should brace myself and my mom should brace herself that I was never going to go to college. Why does everyone keep flooding my dreams and my imagination and encouraging me to pursue a career in ESPN as a broadcaster? Because everyone in this room fully knows I'm never going to be a broadcaster. I'm never going to be a sports announcer. I'm never going to do any of this stuff. So we just need to stop and tell this young man the truth. And I got to tell you, like even to this day, as we retell that story, I almost get emotional for the younger 15-year-old Neil. Like, I want to time travel and go give him a hug. Because let me tell you, I have been a public address announcer at a minor league baseball game. (laughs) (laughs) I have interviewed former North Carolina basketball players on my show. I've interviewed Todd Marinovich, as we talked about already. I think that qualifies as a sportscaster. I, I don't know. Maybe. Now, granted, I'm not running highlights but i've been on television an announcer at a at a table delivering the news so what damage would she have done had she continued to be a voice in my life? Because I, I think that's the thing is it's great to have those teachers around, but it sounds like you're kind of a diamond in the rough. There's not a lot of teachers around doing what you're doing. So now I'm going to have you, we've, we've talked to parents, I feel like, if an educator is listening right now, they're like, man, I have been doing it all wrong. I have been that teacher that Neil is talking about. How can they fix life? How can they make life better for students?
0: Man, I that stories like that just break my heart, Neil. I mean, every day, all of us, and all of us are teachers and role models, by the way, all of us have a choice. Are we going to be Ben Kenobi or are we going to be Darth Vader? Are we going to bring the light or are we going to bring the darkness? It takes just as much power to say something nice to a person as it does to be critical. I mean, that's why I stopped, I was watching this horrible show on TV last week called The News. It totally depressed me. I stay away from that stuff. One of my mentors, Charlie Tremendous Jones said, you're the same today as you will be in five years except for two things, that the books you read and the people you meet. So make sure you surround yourself with people that lift you up and read things are going to be positive. Everybody says garbage in, garbage out. I'm like, that's not true at all. Garbage in, garbage stays. I mean, you still remember that story, how that person made. I'm going to give you the alternate to that. So in in 11th grade, I had Miss McLean, and she made us memorize 200 lines of Shakespeare. I was an obnoxious 16-year-old kid. And so I raised my hand and I said, do they have to be consecutive? And she interpreted the question as, oh, Sure, you can do like 100 lines from this play and 100 lines from this play. That's not how I meant the question. Basically, I got two to three lines out of all 37 of Shakespeare's plays. And so I went up there, I'm like, oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To be or not to be? When shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning or in rain? The eyes of match come see. I mean, I'm going through everything. And guess what Miss McClain did? She laughed and laughed. She's like, nobody's ever done that. And she asked me to perform it for her other class period. I think there's all kinds of great teachers. The problem with teachers right now is teachers are supposed to teach everything. They're supposed to do everything. It's ridiculous. It's not easy being a good teacher. There's all these mandates that teachers have to face now. And I always tell people, I'm like, I've never seen that inspirational teaching movie where they're like, he went to the inner city and inspired his students by using the state's mandatory scripted reading program. I've never never actually seen that movie. The good teachers are always the most ridiculed people hate him. They always fire them. I actually hate the movie Dead Poets Society, and it bothers a lot of people. And I tell people, I'll tell you exactly why. The reason I became a teacher was because of Stand and Deliver. So let me tell you the difference between Dead Poets Society and Stand and Deliver. So Dead Poets Society is a fictional story about a guy that goes to teach at a, an upper crust private school in New England. Stand and Deliver is based on a true story of Jaime Escalante going to, to teach advanced placement calculus at Garfield High School in East Los Angeles. Now, in Dead Poet Society, the teacher inspires his students with poetry, and one of the students, he becomes so discouraged about his life, he's in teen angst, and he commits suicide because of, of how this, this teacher was encouraging him to do poetry, but his family wanted him to take the family route. He, he commits a suicide. The school makes all the students sign a petition to have this teacher fired so that he won't be there anymore. Stand and Deliver, the true story, all of his students, they have to take the adv- advantage placement, calculus tests, they all pass it. The testing bureau realizes they're Hispanic kids from East L.A. and so they accuse them all of cheating and they make them te- take the test again. The last scene in Dead Poet Society is the teacher he's leaving the classroom and all the boys are feeling bad that they got him fired and finally all the students stand up on their, on their tables and they say, oh captain my captain and Robin Williams is sitting there and he's smiling. He's like, oh they like me. That's not a good teacher. I don't give a damn if they like me. Heine Escalante he was the real teacher what did his kids do they took the damn exam again and they passed it again that's a real teacher teach them an actual life skill you know because I'll tell you right now life ain't fair you think life's fair ask a Philadelphia Eagles fan after the the bad call at the Super Bowl (laughs) life ain't fair but you go on you move on you get over it hopefully I played high school football with guys that still talk about high school football (laughs) I'm like, you're a loser. I mean, the windshield's a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. I'm always excited for people. I'm always figuring out, okay, what are we going to do now? What's our next move or whatever? To be a good teacher, to be a good parent, you you should be the person encouraging. Encourage means to give courage. We need to give courage. That's you. If you hadn't have had that teacher, Neil, you would be next to Chris Berman on ESPN right now. It kills me that somebody was able to get in your head. I mean, you were put here for a purpose for great things. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you're not here for great things. I'm not one of these people that puts my Christianity on my sleeve and, you know, I'm preaching you know, I I grow my long beard and drive drive my Jesus fan. I just try to be nice to people or whatever. It was funny when you're talking about the autobiography of Malcolm X. Among my many roles, I'm a a distinguished visiting professor at the American University in Cairo. And so whenever I go to Egypt, I love to visit all the different schools. And so the first time I was there, I I visited an Islamic school and I was kind of nervous about this. I had all these preconceptions and at two o'clock in the afternoon, four, 400 parents showed up for my talk, and it was like the Muslim Brotherhood. All the guys have the long beards. All the women are wearing the burkas. You only see their eyes. And guess what, Neil? we were talking like you and I are talking right now. And I said, shame on me. And then I started my speech. I said, so I was reading this book the other day. Have any of you ever read the Quran? And everybody starts laughing. I'm like, oh, well, then you know the story. When the angel Gabriel appears to Muhammad in the cave, what's his first instruction of Muhammad? The first pillar of Islam is to read. And so I looked at the parents. I said, so not only should we get your kids reading, it's actually written in your most sacred text. It's your duty to get your kid reading. And I had 400 heads nodding. And I'm like, holy cow, isn't this hilarious? The Christian dude, his best audiences are Islamic audiences. And since then, I've spoken all kinds of Islamic schools. But it—that's that's why I was so drawn to your show, Neil. So many of us love, especially in America nowadays, we just love to judge the other. Per- oh, they disagree with me. They're evil. <laughs> My gosh. You know, you can disagree with a person without being disagreeable. My wife and I disagree all the time. It doesn't mean I don't love and respect her. We need more of what you're doing, what you're offering. Let's be respectful of one another. You know, Let's realize we're all on this rock for just a limited amount of time. Let's make it a little bit better if we can. I look at my pastor every weekend. He, he's able to convert three people a week, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I wish I could do something like that. I, I, like, I want to make sure that my life mattered, but it does because I'm a teacher. I can inspire a person with my words, and so Neil. First of all, forgive that teacher because I, I, I bet you she didn't know what she was doing to you. But then you have the choice: do you perpetuate the nonsense, or do you become the solution? And that's what you're doing right now: is you're you're providing that hope to the to the 15 year old Neil that's listening right
1: now. Well, you're absolutely right, and and I used it as rocket fuel. I used it as a motivation to say nobody's ever going to tell me that I can't do that again or won't do that. Every little achievement, I always think back to that teacher and that 15. Year old me, and I'm like, man, if he could see you now, I mean, I'd still probably go back and punch him in the face. Okay, so there's one book I gotta ask you about that I should never read, right? I'm 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 gonna ask this permission. All like right. there's one book I'm not gonna get around, okay? And it's Leading with the Heart. Now it has a great title, but it's written by Coach K, right? I don't I don't yeah. need to read I don't I don't need to read that book. Just wondering, like I had to Google, did he even write a book? Like I don't even know. I don't have to read that one, right?
0: That'll be your North Carolina joke. You say, "Oh, D- Duke, I heard the library burnt down and it, and the students were depressed because they didn't even have a chance to color in all the pictures." <laughs>
1: But there is an author that I'm, I'm hoping maybe you have some connections with, with some authors. And, and if you don't, that's okay. But, but big ask here, my favorite author right now, I had to look him up to make sure I was getting his name right. Because again, I only listen on audio. I don't physically sit down and read the book. First off, Scott Brick if he ever could just read my life story, I, I want him just reading my life story. He's an amazing voice actor. I think they call those now or voiceover guy. Yeah, yeah. Amazing guy. But the author's name is Greg Horwitz. You ever heard of him? No. He writes these kind of Jason Bourne kind of orphan oh, X. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I love the character Evan Smoke. Like yeah. that's my my alter ego that I want to be because nice. I, I I love his abilities of what he can do and just his heart and and all that. But anyway, Greg Horowitz is the author. This is my go to guy right now. So
0: yeah, read those books. That's what it drives me nuts. People people are snotty about what you read. It's like reading the Bible. I'm in a men's Bible study and it's great because we take it line by line. It's interesting when you take things line by line. And then you have other people that give their interpretations because I'm like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I mean, this is what reading should be. It should be a communal activity. I have no time when people talk about politics. I'm like, what a waste of time. You're just going to get mad at one another. Like, let's talk about things that actually matter. I I love that you're reading Greg Horowitz and, and reach out. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, authors are the coolest people on the planet. The more I work with different authors, I was at an event. The keynote speaker was the guy that writes the Arthur books. He was scheduled to to give a 30 minute keynote and sign books for half an hour. And he spent eight hours getting his photograph taken with every teacher at that conference. I was just so impressed by him. And I, I love the Arthur books. The Arthur show on PBS is actually, it makes me laugh out loud all the time. I think it's fantastic.
1: Mark Brown, does that sound right? Yeah, my gosh. I had to Google it too because I had to make sure you were talking about the right thing I was thinking about. It was Arthur, the what is he, an anteater? I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's, yeah, it's weird. There was one my kids and I were watching when they were little the kids in the in the school they get lice and so the the, the cartoon it's from the point of view of lice and there's like this private and he's like General have you ever seen a comb? He's like how do you think I lost this 8th leg soldier? And I mean I'm just laughing I, mean, I thought it was funny that's my humor my humor's geared towards 7 year olds <laughs>
1: So is mine. I still am a little middle schooler at heart, I think, in some respects. You know, you being an author too. I want to get in that author kind of sphere with you, right? That that headspace, if you will. As an author, what's the hardest thing about sitting down and writing? Because again, you know, I've had a couple of people say to me, Neil, have you thought about a book? Podcast, you know, experts and people, they're like, Man, you, you know, you could just blow your podcast up if you became an author and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever be that. You know, so I I guess that's what I'm asking is as an author, hardest part would be what?
0: Well, Gene Fowler has a quote that I I have pinned above my desk and it goes, uh, writing is easy. You just stare at a blank piece of paper until blood drops form on your forehead. (laughs) I, I think I'm probably not unique in that most writers hate writing. They love to have written something. It's great to be a writer. It's not fun to do the actual writing. But isn't that all of life? It's doing the work. That's the tough part. People want to be Michael Jordan, but they don't know that Michael Jordan is the first one on the court and the last one off the court when he's working in the weight room and he's working on his psychology and he's got coaches for everything. People don't look at the work. And that's that's the tough thing with writing. The last book I wrote, Leadership Begins with Motivation. This was a fun book to write. When I was a middle school teacher, I was the only teacher in my school not to have any charting students. And it's because I always started off class, I'd read a Paul Harvey story. You're young, Neil When I was growing up, there was a guy on the radio called Paul Paul Harvey.
1: I know him. They probably syndicate his shows now.
0: Oh, there you go. He'd be like, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And he he wrote like four books. All of them are out of print, but you can still get them on Amazon. Each of them has 101 rest of the stories and they're perfect five-minute read-alouds. And my students always wanted to figure out who's the person he's talking about, what's the, the company he's talking about. But the problem was a lot of those stories are about like Sears Roebuck, which kids nowadays, they don't know what Sears Roebuck is. And so the book I wrote has more stories about Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Actually, here, if you give me a second, I'll I'll, I'll read you one. I think you'll like this one. On the morning of January 17th, 1977, Gary Gilmore, in a plain t-shirt strapped into a chair with a bag over his head, awaited a firing squad of five law enforcement officers to execute him at the state prison in Draper, Utah. Convicted of murdering a gas station employee and motel manager in Utah the year before, Gilmore would be the first person in the United States to be executed in nearly a decade. Shortly before his execution, prison officials asked Gilmore if he had any last words. Neither he nor anyone else that day would know the impact of those words. Over 10 years later, in 1988, Dan Whedon, an advertising executive who co-founded the Whedon & Kennedy Agency in Portland, Oregon, made something of a morbid pitch to a struggling fashion company. He recalled the inmate's final words and used a slight variation for his pitch, and seemingly everyone, hated his idea for the company's new slogan. Just trust me on this one. Whedon implored the company's co-founder. And The co-founder, his company, and the public have not looked back since. The co-founder's name was Phil Knight. The struggling brand he co-founded was a shoe company called Nike. And advertising executive Dan Whedon slightly altered death row inmate Gary Gilmore's final words, let's do it, into the phrase, just do it. So these are the types of stories that I get my kids interested in reading about. But it was interesting after I wrote the book, I noticed I was reading it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Almost all of my examples are of white male Americans. And so the book I'm writing right now, almost all the examples are of female minorities and international people. Because I think people need to hear stories from all over the place. I mean, when I'm in India to this uh, all-girls school, 5,000 girls, and after my speech, these two beautiful seniors come up to me. And one wants to be a doctor. One wants to be a lawyer. I'm like, that's great. Are you going to go to university here in India? Or maybe you'll go to Great Britain or the United States? And they're like, oh, we're girls. We can't leave India. I'm like, get back in that auditorium. Got them all back in. And I looked at them. I'm like, hey, now is your moment, ladies. I mean, within the next five years, India is going to be the largest country on the planet in terms of population. I mean, you're a very young democracy. You're only about 75 years old. Yet you've already elected a woman prime minister. America still hasn't elected a woman president. I'm like, right now, there are twice as many women in India as there are people in the United States. There are actually more women in India with a graduate degree than there are people in the United States. I'm like, and you just made it my my mission in life, the next prime minister, the next CEO, and the next really good mom is coming out of this audience. It drives me nuts. Like stories like you've shared, like I it. all these people being told. what. I'll give you an example. My wife is from Singapore. She grew up in the most negative environment. People telling her what she couldn't do her entire life. Neil, I have a picture of me When I was four years old and I'm wearing space boots, a San Diego Charger jersey, a sheriff's badge and a fireman's helmet, because I was going to become the first ever astronaut, professional football player, police officer and firefighter. That's the world I grew up in. And I think every kid deserves to be in a world where you have people saying, hey, you can do I was at a party with my mom, and actually she was talking to my 11th grade English teacher, Miss McLean. And Miss McLean, they didn't know I was listening into the conversation. And Miss McLean said, it's such a tragedy that Danny's leaving the classroom. He was such a good teacher. And my mom said, but Danny's good at anything he does. That's the world I grew up in. Everybody deserves to be in a world like that. And not everybody is. The the thing about writing books, I just think that your words matter. That's how I start and end my days, by just listening to the Bible. And there's like something inspiring in there. I was listening to Philippians four today. It's like one of my favorite verses of all time, whatever is good, whatever is, I mean, I can't remember it all. I'm not as good as other people at that. Whatever is good, whatever is pure. These are the things you should focus on. I'm like, man, it's like the best halftime speech of all time. It's, it's really cool. You know, people should, it's a good book. I always tell people, I'm like, actually every real story comes out of this book. I don't even understand why it's not like network television. I'm like, man, you got everything in this book. I mean, there's like There's sex, there's jealousy, there's uh, murder. I mean, all this intrigue, but then there's also hope which I think most people need more now than ever.
1: I've never read Harry Potter. I know this is going to come as a shock to you and maybe others. Not even watch the movies. People are always like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I just never got around that. But I do like magic. I grew up watching David Copperfield specials, ABC specials with David Copperfield. And magic has always intrigued me because it's this idea like, don't look over here. It's really happening over here. But there's a mysticism to that, that magic can somehow transform things. You know, I'm thinking of like Cinderella and and things like that. And that's, that's why I also like magic. Because as a kid, man, if I could just get a hold of that wand, my life would change forever because I would, man, I would, I would have killed my brother with the wand and, (laughs) <laughs> maybe not killed, but but maimed in some respects.
0: Mamed. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs>
1: you know, made my sisters nicer, whatever. Made my parents love each other, uh, whatever it may be. But if I gave you the power to change education right now, maybe I bought, we call up our friend Jeff Bezos and I and I give you his checkbook and I said, mm-hmm. Danny, the the sky's the limit. You got his checkbook. He said he'll he'll sign off on whatever you want to do. Because let's face it, money doesn't rule the world, but money does help in a lot of respects, change things. What's the first thing you would change about education right now?
0: I would rebuild it completely. And you see it. There's all kinds. I was being interviewed yesterday and uh, the reporter, she asked me, uh, what do you prefer? What do you think is better, public schools or charter schools? And I said, yes. For some kids, it's a charter school. For some kids, it's a public school. Some kids, it's a parochial school. Some kids, it's a magnet. Some kids, it's a vocational school. Some kids, homeschool. Every kid is different. We try to have one answer, but every kid is different. Kids aren't like businesses. A classroom of 33 students, I have 33 totally different learners in there. And I have to figure out, you know, what's the type of gasoline that fuels each of my students. So if I was redoing education, I would start with the kids. I, I And I'm starting to see it. There's some schools that they do like project-based learning. You know, what's smarter, giving a kid a worksheet to do this concept, and they're going to be miserable for 20 minutes and they're going to forget it promptly or asking the kid to build a website where they're going to learn so much more. They'll do it on their free time because they're excited. Or, you know, I always tell a parent. Book reports stink. Get rid of those three words. Book reports teach kids to hate reading. That's why I love Oprah. She talks about books, the way people talk about their favorite sports teams, the favorite TV shows. She gets people excited about reading. The more excited you are to read, the more likely you are to read. The more you read, the better you get. Every kid's a little bit different. My own three children, my youngest, she hates school. She's like a a BC student. She's so much smarter than that, but she she just doesn't see the point. And so I'm being very conscious about that every day. I'm like, you know what I think? I think you're the entrepreneur in this house. I think you're going to create a business that changes the world. You tell a person that enough times, they start getting it in their head. Hey, this is who I am, your identity. And again, it it can either be negative or it can be positive. I'm a big believer in the positive. I would be a lot more positive with kids. I wouldn't label kids. I would get rid of all standardized testing. There's over $5 billion wasted on standardized tests in this country every single year. It's amazing to me how people are able to succeed in life and they did poorly on a standardized. I mean, I've It it reminds me, there's that story that uh, that man who was on his deathbed and he was surrounded by his friends and family. You know, he was a pillar of his community, a successful businessman, a beloved philanthropist, an elder in his church. And his youngest grandson asked him if he had any regrets in life. And in the very last dying word, he said, one. One regret. I wish I had scored higher on that standardized reading exam back in third grade. But we got kids peeing their pants over these things. and we got. A lot of gifted and talented educators quitting the profession because they're forced to teach to the test. And it's just not, it's its crazy. It is crazy. And I, I still think back to Mr. Hobbs. He didn't do anything that he was supposed to do as a teacher. But what he did do is he got a whole bunch of kids excited about reading. After I had him, it went right back to the same old routine. You have to read a separate piece by John Knowles. Ugh. I hate those books. I, hate, I hated reading a lot of those. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't put that all down because Miss McLean, she made us memorize Shakespeare. I still have that memorized. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool trick. I, I know poems and things because of a lot of my English teachers, but she was also a good teacher though. I, I would be child-based rather than standards-based. Right now we're like so concerned about the standard. <laughs> it cracks me up because I'm like, but the world's changing at such a rapid rate. They all say that any freshman attending a university by the time they graduate the top five jobs available are going to be completely different. Like we're changing it. You know, now you have like chat GPT where it can write like whatever you, you can write your report. I mean, that's the artificial intelligence thing is a is a real thing. When I was a kid, I was excited when VCRs came around. I was like, man, I was telling this to my kids the other day. I'm like, I'm like, you are so spoiled. When I was a kid, I had to wait until April. And on Saturday night, CBS would play Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And if I had to pee, I had to wait until the commercial break. You know, now you can download this thing. I'm like, you're sitting spoiled. It's crazy. So maybe it's time for me to just uh, rest, rest in peace. I'm just an old guy at
1: this point. <laughs> No, I think, I think you're right on because I, I think about that too. You know, how much things have changed just. You know, in my lifetime, I mean, I'm only 43. And so Uh the fact that I found Tubu, which they advertised at the Super Bowl, and I found on that that they have the old GI Joe cartoon, and I like oh, yeah. I cannot get that in front of that fast enough because I I just want to see how cheesy and corny it
0: really was. GI Joe, I used to watch the greatest American hero.
1: Yeah, they have He's that a- show too. <laughs> they have that show too. They have Battlestar Galactica. So no, I'm not great. getting paid by Tubu or however you say it, but yeah. um, I should be I should be a sponsor for them. Danny, first off, I want to say thank you, thank you for all your stories, thank you for your time. I I just I really appreciate what you brought today. But if I was going to somehow put you in the LA Coliseum halftime at the Trojan game, Mm -hmm. you got the crowd there. They're rabid, obviously SC fans. Maybe they're playing Oregon. We'll just give them that. They can't play North Carolina because they're not in the same conference and that would never happen. Halftime SC there. Yeah, obviously from people from all walks of life, we don't know why they're there except for SE. But what would you tell that crowd in a nutshell about what pitch to them?
0: My my spiel would definitely be to be kinder to one another. Kindness matters. It's actually a game I play. I'm speaking all over the place. so I'm in a lot of airports. And so I play this game where I try to find a miserable person, which is very easy in an airport. And I try to make them laugh. There used to be a commercial. I don't even remember. It was like for an insurance company or something. And it just shows like people with just small actions and. And other people notice it, and then that person then does something kind to the next person. And I always love that. I'm like, it really is this butterfly effect. It's a ripple effect that affects everybody. My my message would be to be a lot kinder to one another. And it's it's the little things. I mean, I tell that to even lo- little kindergartners I'm like, you can smile and tell your parents you love them, and then that's going to get your parents to be a little bit happier at work that day. And then maybe they they do something. You know, all of us have that power within us. We ignore kids more than anybody. Kids are the most amazing people on the planet, and they have observations. I had this one little girl Maya when I was teaching kindergarten, and she comes up to me at recess. She's like, "Miss Bassel, Miss Bassel, this is Anjanae. Anjanae is Nikisha's friend. Nikisha is my friend. So that means Anjanae is my friend too." And I'm like, "Wow, what a nice way to look at the world. I need to surround myself with more people like that." I, I just really appreciate you, Neil giving me this this opportunity to be with you. I love what you're doing. I want you to continue to do it. And then just as a gift to everybody uh, for putting up with me today. I wanted to give everybody a couple of things. So if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed, which is a book I wrote for a school principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story a book recommendation on a book you should read but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult so I also give you a children's picture book recommendation demonstrates the same concept you can read that in five minutes and then I wanted to give everybody access last summer I did a five day reading challenge online for about 700 parents around the world so every day for five consecutive days you get one hour of me giving you all kinds of ideas on how to get your kid excited about reading because we've talked about that the more excited we get kids to read the more likely they are to read the more they read the better they get and as we talked, about reading is different strokes for different folks if all you want to read is horowitz books read horowitz books i mean i think those are that's fantastic all you want to read sports illustrated read sports illustrated i encourage people read things that lift you up rather than depress you
1: Yeah, I think there's enough depression in the world. I love the free gift. That's awesome. Thanks so much for that. Because I was just going to segue into like, how can people get connected with you? Because I know, listen, you're giving talks, you're giving interviews all over the place. So if somebody's interested in that, what's the best way they can connect there?
0: You can go to dannybrussell.com. My last name is really easy to remember how to spell. It's spelled like bras, sell. No, I never took any grief over that as a child. And uh, I speak all over the place. And then because of the pandemic, I started coaching. That's actually my new passion is I coach uh, business leaders how to create signature talks to build up their business, increase their leads. So you can get all that information at, at dannybrussell.com. But again, I, I'm very appreciative to all that you're doing Neil. And uh, I think Oregon's beautiful. So I don't know what your, your problem is with uh, Southern Oregon. I think it's great.
1: <laughs> it's not North Carolina. But I was just thinking as far as your name goes, you know, as a marketability thing, you know, you're very supportive. For others,
0: thank you. That's what I. That's you know, what Bra, I, right?
1: You know, never mind. All right. Well,
0: I didn't coach for a long. <laughs> people been asking me to coach them for a long time, and I resisted because I have a very high standard. I'm a person that I'm not going to rest until you succeed. I still have that standard, and so that's why people like working with me. And I, I taught a guy Gustavo a couple of weeks ago. Man, you should we we created his signature talk that afternoon neil and i always said hey there's two ways to get better at speaking you got to uh, watch lots of speakers and you got to uh, you got to do the work and so i said get on podcasts go speak at service organizations speak at your church speak at elementary schools. And so this guy, Gustavo, he went on a podcast that night, coaches real estate. He, he has a $40,000 coaching program. It's a four month program for $40,000. And he calls me all excited the next day. He's like, Danny, I pitched on the podcast last night. I'm like, oh, did you sell any? He's like, yeah, I sold 23. And I'm like, I'm not a math guy. I'm a reading guy. 23 times 40,000, he made $920,000 that night. I'm like, what am I doing? I need to start getting a cut out of these people. That was great, very happy. there's nothing that pleases me better than somebody succeeding that I had anything to do with. Yeah, that's that's my new passion, is helping the entrepreneurs and business leaders create their signature talks.
1: The silliness we call senseless. I couldn't find an SC cup. I apparently had back ordered or something. So we got this North Carolina cup, but it is broken. Huh. It fell off a shelf, and so it got put back together. You know, broken vessels are still good vessels. So yes. there we are. So I'm going to roll for you and see what we get. You got number five.
0: All right. Great.
1: Even a light blue five at that. And so here we are. Number five is this. It says, what is something you taste that you always seem to get a reaction to? Something you taste you always seem to get a reaction to?
0: Something I taste that I always seem to get a reaction to. i trying to think... Well, I'm gonna i do it as a story since we've been talking about reading. I always tell people, uh, if you have that large book on your bedside table that you started three years ago, I absolve you of that book. Get another one. There's over 4 million books written every single year in English alone. Some of them are pretty good, don't waste your time. Reading a good book is like re- eating a good piece of food. Like if you eat something and you take a bite out of it, you're like, that's nasty. Do you then say, or oh, maybe it gets better? Ooh, no, that's really nasty. Like, if you don't like the first chapter of a book, put it down. You're probably not gonna like the second chapter. Get something you, know, you want to read. So that's. I'm gonna relate it to reading. I'm. i I'm, uh, I'm trying to think of the last nasty thing I. I had, but I shouldn't, because there's kids listening, and it was. Uh, it, it was vegetables, and the kids should eat their vegetables. So I'm not gonna. I will say though, India, because I was in India, I now like cauliflower because India knows how to use spices, and I was like, oh, this is actually really good with spices and flavoring.
1: <laughs> I hate peas. That's my, yeah, peas and bananas. Gross. Well, guys and gals, kids and campers alike, that is it. That is all. That is our show today. So here's my question for you out there. Maybe you're not like me and, and I chances are pretty good you're not because I am a little different than most. But when's the last time you read something and really got inspired? Now, listen, I I got one for you. So here's mine. Definitely share yours with me. This is a judgment-free zone. My wife and I, well, my wife joined Planet Fitness and she's been begging me to go to the gym. So, you know, pray with me for that or encourage me in that respect. But I remember reading this sign when I got into Planet Fitness and it said, this is a judgment-free zone. And I thought, man, that is inspiring. And so I've used it now in my daily life when I talk to people. I said, listen, this is a judgment-free zone like Planet Fitness. So my thought for you is this. How are you going to be inspired? How are you going to be a more active participant in this life? How are you going to do that? Now, you could read a bunch of self-help books. You could read this. You could read that. You could do this. You could do that. But I think the point of today is just to read, just to quote Phil Knight. Just do it. You just got to do it. And as painful it is for me to say, I got to do it too. So join me in that. Let me know what you're reading. I would be curious to know no end what you're reading. Maybe you have some book recommendations that we should put on our page, books that I love under OPSpodcast.com. We have some great books there too, by the way. Most of them I've sort of read. Most of them. Don't forget this as we get out of here also. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. Remember when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.